As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on The Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you, Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Payne, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. Coming at you like we do every single week, but also coming at you on YouTube, which is an exciting new revelation at our place. Make sure you subscribe to that channel. Join us there. Uh, We have got a ton to talk about on this week's show. I'm Sam Amick, NBA national writer from The Athletic, as always here with my guy, Anthony Slater on the West Coast, Fred Katz on the East Coast. We are going to go to the center of the country. Mr. Tim Cato, Dallas Mavericks, beat writer, who is a busy man this week. He's You won the lottery here. I don't know what that means, Mr. Cato, but Kyrie Irving is coming your way. Uh, massive trade in the association. Kyrie Irving traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Dallas Mavericks. 2029 unprotected first-round pick. 2027 second-round pick. 2029 second-round pick. To the Nets and Mr. Kyrie Irving uh, going the other way. Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith uh, is what they gave up. Tim, uh, what's up, sir? You, you've had an interesting, what, 18 hours, 20 hours roughly? How are you hanging in? I'm okay. I'm okay. I was having such a quiet Sunday, and then uh, it changed. Um, <laughs> but speaking of winning the lottery, you know what they say about lottery winners. It usually doesn't work out well for them You know, a few years down the line. Just saying, there's there's, Fair. there's parallels. You got to pay taxes on it, you know. First of all, then your family's coming after you. They they want a piece. I'd pay I'd pay taxes on a lottery win right now. I'm willing to uh, <laughs> do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. The the thing I also love quickly about massive trades like this, and this is way too inside media baseball or basketball, is how 
we in the industry have this commentary of what it means for the 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 more well known you know kind of personalities writers media folks in that market. So yesterday became, oh boy, it's it's Tim Cato and Kyrie Irving and and you know and and a friend in general friend of the show Tim McMahon of ESPN cracks me up in general and now the idea of McMahon going back and forth with Kyrie uh, after Nick Friedle had his time in in Brooklyn with Kyrie, you know, because media's uh, I'm sorry, Kyrie's not always the hugest fan of of our uh, the fourth estate, if you will. So. That component will be interesting to watch, but let's talk hoops. Um, I guess I'll set it up this way. You know, Kyrie really shocks the the NBA by asking for that trade. Um, I mean, I think it's roughly 36 hours before the deal gets done. Does that sound about right? And, you know, at that time, it's shocking because the Nets had found their way, you know, post-Kevin Durant offseason trade request and asking for the GM and the coach to be fired. Like, they somehow settled those waters and then before Kevin got hurt we're playing elite basketball and showing everybody and themselves what they could do what they could be and so uh, people didn't see this coming Kyrie obviously had other plans he asks out and to me guys what what is just clear as day about the way this situation unfolded is that listen the, you know there was a time just a couple months ago when we would have thought that the market and the value for Kyrie was nearly non-existent so I do think to the Nets' credit, you know, they uh, that's a pretty decent haul they got back for a guy that was that was kind of a pariah very recently because of the off-court stuff. But all four teams involved, Mavericks, Suns, Lakers, Clippers, uh, it's just varying degrees of, des- of desperation. You know what I mean? You had four teams that had a plan, you know, going into this season and, and then had fallen well short of that plan for a number of, of different reasons. So the Mavs, end up winning these Kyrie sweepstakes. Um, take us through it. You know, initial thoughts and, and and kind of what is your feeling here? Yeah, the way I've described this is basically that the Mavericks are making a wager um, and they want to get the future started now. The idea that the Mavericks were going to be able to trade, uh, you know, for the perfectly fitting, you know, young superstar, you know, on a long-term deal, that was never going to happen. Like they 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 do not have the picks. They do not have the young generational star. They do not have you know the type of um, assets or you know the ability to build a trade package um, or the desirability of market that would cause one of these ideal players to come to Dallas. And so the idea for Kyrie Irving, even though he has a lot of questions. It, like a lot, a lot, a lot of questions, <laughs> you know, mostly off the basketball court. Um, folks in the back. Um, but the idea is that there are questions that the team can start dealing with right now. And that if this were not to work, and there's a lot of avenues where it doesn't work, there's a few avenues where it works fantastically. I, I think we can imagine how the on-court offensive basketball fit is superb. And we can talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But um, if this were not to work because Dallas got this started now, there is still time to reverse engineer, to course correct, to try something else while you still have Luka Doncic on this, you know, second uh, sure. contract that he signed to. Um, and then beyond that, you know, there's a lot of relationships, um, Jason Kidd and Nico Harrison, the head coach and, uh, and the general manager have long-term relationships with uh, Kyrie. Clearly the Mavericks need a change. But yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is just the idea that the they got the clock ticking to some degree 
in, in a way that it wasn't looking likely to happen at this deadline up until the Irving trade. What, or what they trade request, had, I should say. You know, you mentioned like what they had wasn't really working. You know, I was at that game the other night and just kind of looking at the roster without Luca out there against the Warriors. It was like, you know, you're seeing JaVale McGee playing behind like Theo Pinson. And you're like, they, they just gave JaVale McGee like three years at the taxpayer mid-level. And, you know, obviously we all know how they screwed up the Brunson thing. Um, how much of it was, I mean, so, so I don't mind them pivoting off of it, but how much of, of the desperation of this move, which clearly was there is due to like Luca's contract status, just sitting there and how much might be Luca kind of nudging them? Like, look, we ain't winning a title this year with this current team. And I'm not saying they're winning a title with Kyrie, but at least you could craft something in your mind that it's possible. Whereas I think two days ago, it was just not possible. Yeah. ESPN had first reported this to McMahon had that, uh, Luca did express a desire for uh, the roster to be upgraded this season. I do not believe that he was pushing for this trade. Um, I don't even know if everybody around the team or around his or uh, you know camp, uh, you know, were were pushing for this trade or anything to that extent. Um, this was definitely a front office driven trade, and you can look, you know, at Jason Kidd, at Nico Harrison, at these longstanding relationships, and understand. Nico, why just to they mention briefly, be, Tim, and for folks who don't know, you know, formerly incredibly influential uh, guy at Nike, and and a guy who, in terms of being a relationship king, if you will, was on everybody's shortlist. Just, just you know, extremely tight with Kobe and, and endless NBA stars over the years, and that had a lot to do with with why Mark Cuban, you know, tabbed him a couple of years back to run the front office. Right, exactly. This is why they brought him here. And now, you know, what a better, you know, test of whether this this guy's clear ability to build relationships and have relationships with stars. What a great test to see if it can work, because <laughs> is there a more, you know, mercurial, difficult to deal with, um, you know, at least, you know, someone who does need... Um, you know he's he's stubborn. You know we everybody knows Kyrie Irving is he stubborn. Wants, and I think we should go down this road a little bit. I th- it, 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 what you're hinting at there is is you know the trust element with the organization that employs him, right? And one thing that, that I think has been not necessarily underreported, kind of underemphasized in this trade going down, and, and to the credit of, of our guy Sham Sharania, he had this in his piece, is that you know his reporting was that Kyrie's choice to ask for the trade was not solely tied to the specifics on the extension talks with the Nets, that there was a, a grander kind of holistic thing about issues with the organization. Now, that points to a lot of things, but most recently, the situation when Kyrie decided to share you know, a link to an anti-Semitic video on his social media, and the way the Nets handled that entire situation, uh, you know, if once you reflect on it, Kyrie clearly you know, did not agree with the way they handled it. You know, He had been obviously pulled from the court, then asked to do a number of things to get back on the court. As a side note that I think is fair to share and not really out there, I don't think, he, at some point in the somewhat recent history, deleted the Instagram post where he apologized for the entire incident, which people I talked to had the feeling that at minimum that tells you that he was done with the Nets. You know, like he he had spoken publicly and on on-camera interviews, and, and so apologies still exist and things he said are not going anywhere, but I thought that was a pretty telling sign. So he was done with the Nets. As it relates to the Mavericks, what you're getting at is that, that, you know, best case scenario for them, the hope would be that because of that relationship capital with people like Nico, uh, you know, with Jason Kidd, and then by extension, Mark Cuban, that that element would be healthier. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, and it comes down to whether the team traded for him to extend him and to extend him at all cost. Um, you know, the sense around the the league, um, you know, even some people on the team is that yeah, the Mavericks do want to extend Kyrie Irving this summer. They weren't going to trade two starters, you know, if the only plan was for him to walk in free agency uh, when he's unrestricted this summer. Um, but to sign him for four years and you know it's been reported that the lakers you know they wouldn't you know one way the that negotiation broke down was that they would only offer him a two-year deal so if the mavericks are prepared to you know go into the summer and be like here's the four-year max or something a little bit below the four-year max four years is a lot of time and you know I if if these same issues, you know, if if Kyrie goes in and posts something anti-Semitic or or if he goes and posts, um, you know, anything that needs to be rebuked and pushed back upon, I don't know if prior relationships makes it easy any easier for the Mavericks to respond differently than how the Nets did. Like there's a one way to respond to this, you know, maybe there's some stuff around the edges that are going to be better, but this, this is Kyrie Irving and this is what you're trading for. And this is the experience that the Mavericks are embracing, particularly if they do resign him to four more years. Can we just give the full context too on Kyrie Irving with relationships? Like, haven't we heard this a lot? The Celtics were believing that this was going to work very well because of relationships. The Nets thought this was going to work very well because he has such a close relationship with Kevin Durant. And he still called Kevin Durant his best friend like 10 days ago. Yeah, and still has a really close relationship, by the way, with Kevin Durant. Like, like it's, it's, it's not like, you know, all of a sudden they deteriorated and he said, I'm out of here. Uh, we've just seen a history of, of people and teams and organizations falling for that kind of stuff and then realizing, oh, wait, I can't be the one to fix this situation either. So I think that needs to be said in the context of here. I, I do have a basketball question for you, Tim. Uh, first of all, I'm honored to be podcasting with the first writer in the athletics history to likely to use the word talismanic in a story like you did. You keep your- saying that's a, that's a common term used in soccer. You know? Absolutely like not a common term. Absolutely not okay. a common term. Okay. It's a, it's a wonderful word. I'm I'm not being sarcastic. I'm honored. It's a to great be word. I just I'm shocked. He's so probably many people read like, it in a bunch of our UK coverage. I mean, we're loaded <laughs> up on soccer coverage. In the, in like, you're like the first, like the fifth person to mention the, my use of this word. I well, didn't think it was that abnormal. Obviously, Tim, if five people have done they it. do not read the athletics. Yeah. Terrific. Soccer they're a bunch coverage. of wankers. <laughs> if, if if five Another word, wankers. he wouldn't know. Stephen Adams called me a wanker in a press conference once. So trust me, I'm aware of it. I I, I do have a basketball question though. The Mavericks are 23rd in points allowed per possession. They are one bad game away from falling to like 27th behind the Charlotte Hornets. They just traded away their best defender in Dorian Finney-Smith. They now have two guards in Luka and Kyrie who are not going to make a difference for them defensively. They still have Christian Wood, who is going to have to play consequential minutes, who is an issue defensively. Reggie Bullock is a good defender, but he's not quite enough to hold up the whole damn thing. You wrote in your story this morning that Dallas is not done. They're still trying to do corresponding moves. I assume that one or two 
of those corresponding moves, at least that they are trying to pursue has to do with improving the defense, right? Because you can try to score all you want. If you're in the West and you got to go up against a team with a whole boatload of good scoring wings, you got to go up against the Clippers. You have to play Paul George and, and Kawhi, or you have to go up against really any team that's able to score. Even if you get all the way to the finals, like Man, you got to face Boston, you got to face Milwaukee. Like, what do you, you got to have something. You got to have somebody who can guard somebody. Uh, so, so Tim, what are, what are the moves? What are they trying to do? And where do they see the ability to actually turn this into something beyond just a, a high scoring on both ways team that can be fun to watch in the regular season, but might be a first round out? Yeah, I'm sure the Mavs would, you know, their spin on this question or or people saying that the defense is bad is that they'd point to the team being 0-7 without Luka and you know, still having a winning record, if, you know, even half of those were wins, you know, how much differently would the perspective on this Mavericks season look? Um, you know, the, the team also, the offense craters when Luka is not on the court, not even games he misses, but just whenever he goes to the bench, the bench lineups have been horrible. Uh, they've been, you know, if you were to only count those minutes, they've been worse in the league. There's a lot of obvious ways that Kyrie is going to improve that. But yes, this is not a good defensive team. This was not a good defensive team. Um, you know, prior to this trade, it's a worse defensive team. Now, um, I would imagine the team is looking pretty proactively at, you know, another wing defender to shore up, um, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith going out. Um, I, you know, my understanding is the plan is that Josh Green becomes a starter and, you know, he gets the minutes that Dorian Finney-Smith got before, you know, he's a 22 year old blossoming three and D wing. Um, he is probably the best defender on the team outside of Maxi Kleba, who will eventually come back from injury. Um, you know, if not before the break, then it, it seems like he's going to be coming back right after it. Uh, so there is a little bit more of reinforcements for the team that they they very much need on that end. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if the team ended up with a you know just kind of a rental low low price center, someone like Nerlens Noel um, has certainly been been talked about. Uh, whether that's going to be realistic uh, or, or you know actually something they can pull off, we're going to have to Nerlens reunion, huh? Yeah. Uh, it would be fun. It would be fun. He had a Jeez, famous incident with a hot dog. Him, maybe. Have you guys oh, ever heard of the Nerlens a... Noel hot dog incident? No. Oh, no, that no. was the best when he came into the media room at halftime to get a hot dog. He came into the media room at halftime, and we asked him about it afterwards. And he was, he said, uh, "I needed some energy. I needed some halftime energy." <laughs> he was a DMPCD that game. We're not happy with it either. Rick Carlo was not playing him. Only, they were beefing. You know, pumps up his reason to get a hot dog. It's tough to criticize when we all when we all do that at halftime. Um, yeah, I'm pro halftime hot dog. I just wanted to ask about like Kyrie's future. You know, you you wondered if when this trade went down, it would come with an immediate announcement like, and he has signed a two year you know max extension or whatever. I believe part of the reason that he's now willing to go into the summer is because it maximizes the more amount of money he can get. Yeah, they get um, his bird rights. But how? I mean, how much do you feel like this is a trial period, and it's very possible that they split their separate ways this summer? And how much do you believe both are going in into this? Like, you know, this is this is a long term commitment. I think it's more the second, with an understanding that things could just change. Um, I guess I don't know for certain when it comes to Kyrie. Um, you know, can anything be known with when it, when it comes to Kyrie? Um, but I, I do believe that Kyrie is looking forward to this. You know, it, it seems like, like he would, you know, embrace this in the same way that he's embraced past stops. 
Um, and I, I definitely can say that, you know, the Mavericks, you know, the the understanding is that the Mavericks did, would not have done this deal without some belief that they could resign him and that he would be a, a longer part of their team. Otherwise, this is not a good deal to make. You know, like, like, man, they, Tim, they I hear have, you, but let's just be real. Like, you know, to your question, can anything be for sure with Kyrie? It's just unequivocal. No. I mean, you know, think right. about if you go back to last summer, he's deciding whether or not to pick up his player option. The only leverage he had you know, it was supposed to be no leverage at all, which is, oh, maybe I'll opt out. And the Lakers being one of my destinations, I'm going to go sign a taxpayer mid-level with the Lakers. Well, that is a $30 million pay cut. No one on, on you know, in their right mind would do that. But people believe for a minute that he might do it because it's Kyrie. So to me, this the basketball is going to matter a lot. What they do down the stretch, how the, the vibe is behind the scenes, how the relationship goes. Because to me, if it does not go well and they hit the summertime and he has other options on the table, this is Kyrie. He, he's going to look at other things. So, you know, there's part of me that shrugs at whatever level of confidence Mark and, and Nico and that group have. And, and to that point, and I'll, you know, I'll add, by the way, can I add one thing? The Lakers actually can open, even after the Rui Hachimura trade, the Lakers can re sign Hachimura and still open up cap room this summer. It's not like they have. No cap room to play with at all. They couldn't offer Kyrie a max, but they could offer him twenty million a year pretty easily. Uh, and that maybe the difference between that and a max is they could also just not to where he's like I'm going to sign Rui Achimura and open up even more. You know, like they don't have. That's to true that, too. You know? That's well, true and, too. And if you really that, want Kyrie, kinda, you should not let Rui Achimura stop you. And I and I do want to shift it a little bit um, to some of the other teams that were in the mix here. And so to that point. You know, I thought one thing that that Sean's reported that I, I had not heard that I found really interesting about Kyrie was that when it comes to his interest in the Lakers, um, you know, we know like he was incredibly close with Kobe, and that apparently one, you know, part of his calculus personally was the idea of wearing the purple and gold and, and being on that stage that, that you know Kobe was so well known for. So that pull, I don't think, is totally gone. Um, and you know, and again, it goes. The basketball is going to matter the next three, four months five months are going to matter how he fits with Luca too you know before the trade happened on Friday when I and you know talk about Luca like Luca can be prickly he can be tough and and I would I would guarantee you that he's he's you know all you know very excited all the way for this move right now but before the trade happened you know some people express hesitations about how he would react the patience he would have you know if Kyrie were to miss basketball games for non-basketball reasons and like you've all seen Luca uh you know this is not something that he is going to you know have a lot of uh understanding for if that were to be the case and that's always a concern with uh with Kyrie that's what you're signing up for Kyrie in Texas by the way I don't want to get too much deeper into that but that could Oh, you're just going to drop that like that? <laughs> just could have interesting side effects. <laughs> you don't see him going on on a McMahon's Howdy Partner podcast? <laughs> I mean, I, again, I don't want to get too deep into it, but, you know, like, the, remember the Ted Cruz uh, tweet, right? Oh, He's that's like right. Trying to welcome Kyrie down there. Just There are layers to this that could, you know, we, we all know that, the, that these questions around Kyrie's uh, availability often extends beyond – the walls of basketball. Texas is a different world, as a Tim Cato, uh, I'm sure, could attest to. So, 
All right, so let's let's go to the other teams briefly. And Tim, we have a bit of a, a scheduling backup here, and I didn't tease it at the top. We're going to have the legendary Andy Bernstein, uh, photographer extraordinaire, on the show uh, in just a few minutes here. Um, very timely visit from Andy. He is about to become. I feel confident saying this. Hopefully, I'm not wrong. I believe the only media member on planet Earth who have covered Kareem Abdul-Jabbar passing Wilt Chamberlain for the scoring record back in 1984. And he's about to cover LeBron, LeBron James passing uh, Kareem either tomorrow or on Thursday. So going to get Andy's perspective, the the Hall of Famer, Kurt Gowdy Award winner 2018. So Andy's coming on, but I'm going to you know respectfully have Andy wait for a couple minutes so we can unpack some of the other teams. Uh, thoughts, guys, on how the Nets did and then whatever perspective you might have on Suns Clippers because th- there was a lot of interesting stuff within all of that. I liked I liked the net side of this deal. I thought it was about as good as they could have gotten, considering circumstances. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith will help. Obviously, Dinwiddie can be kind of like fake Kyrie a little bit, right? You know, do score a little bit next to KD, and then you know the Mavericks twenty is twenty twenty nine unprotected first, right, Tim? Yep. Yeah. Um, so like that could be either you know obviously yeah maybe you use it down the line, but that's a trade piece. You know that's. Just as potentially appealing as a Lakers twenty twenty nine, maybe a little less because Luca compared to LeBron age wise, but maybe they're not done this week, and and this could help them get another deal done. It's a pretty interesting more... pick because I think a lot of people will assume that Luka Doncic may not be a Maverick in twenty twenty nine. Yeah, you could definitely pump, you know, yeah. it within negotiations. There's there's a real scenario way. where that is the case. Yeah. Let's you know, there's a timeline where that is that seems fairly you know it seems like possible and the word unprotected has become like such a like you know big word on the trade market now like who unprotected it was it was a big return given the fact that brooklyn had like no leverage whatsoever right i mean i i i was not necessarily expecting them to get that much back that quickly for Kyrie. i also like the idea i mean look we're all operating under the fact that Kevin Durant is a net and a net for even just the near future, which who the heck knows, right? I mean, the guy just requested a trade less than a year ago, and that was when Kyrie was there. So who the heck knows what's going to happen moving forward? And certainly everybody around the league is monitoring what in the world is happening with Durant. But Brooklyn is obviously operating as if Durant is going to be there. And if you're operating under that premise, putting a bunch of solid defenders, good long defenders around Kevin Durant, like Dorian Finney-Smith, and Royce O'Neal and uh, Nick Claxton, who is having a sneakily awesome year, and 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 even what Ben Simmons is defensively now, and like Durant that, himself, that, that could very work. good defender. Durant is having an, a very good defender and having a great defensive season, like a really yep. awesome defensive season. Well, kind of like kind of like what the it, Nets are doing there. That makes sense. I was going to say to the defense of the Lakers, which uh, you know they've been rightfully criticized a lot the last couple of years. On this one, I don't know how you guys see it. I, I feel like it kind of is what it is in terms of them losing out. They had the, the two first on the table, Russell Westbrook, and I don't blame them for holding back the rest of their assets, and mainly actually good players, Max Christie, uh, Austin Reeves, because the Nets were in when now we need players mode. The, the Lakers package just didn't work as well for the Nets' purposes, and they had their concerns where if they did not, and I reported this, they they were not willing to do any sort of wink-wink on free agency and then put all the assets on the table and cross their fingers that Kyrie's going to actually follow through on some handshake deal free agency-wise that we all know that stuff happens all the time. They weren't willing to go down that road, and so, you know, but 
the whole idea of LeBron being frustrated because they wouldn't offer those two first, well, they did, and they just didn't get it over the finish line. But great stuff. We will be back on the other side of this break with the legendary Andy Bernstein. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we are back with another fantastic guest. Uh, definitely one of a kind, one of one, one of my favorite guys to see on the road and have been sharing arena space with this gentleman for a very long time now, the legendary Andy Bernstein, Hall of Fame, Kurt Gowdy Award winner, 2018, uh, photographer extraordinaire. Andy, how are you, sir? Hey, Sam, I'm great, man. Always good to see you, buddy. We uh, we were joking, Andy. We brought you on offline, and you're cycling through backgrounds. So you have gone <laughs> with, and we actually were somewhat new to the YouTube world. We have our own channel now, so there is a visual component here. So that yeah. matters, right? But I, yeah. you know, you were saying that that uh, that, you know, you started with the sunset behind you. You're mm-hmm. now going with more of the office look. With the, <laughs> I see the promo behind you. You know, from is that my eyes are failing me. Legends yeah. of Sport. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, that's my podcast. So uh, that's right. Got to plug it whenever I can, Sam. Plug you know it, of course. Saying? Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. But the sunset that you flipped off of. Uh, I would have been fine with because you had me thinking this is an interesting kind of way to go into this conversation. And we're going to talk all things Lakers, all things LeBron James passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar this week, presumably yeah. Tuesday or Thursday. And and Andy, for any of the listeners who don't know, has been doing this very long time at the highest of levels. And I think we both agree we're fairly confident making this statement that when LeBron passes Kareem, that you will likely, very likely be the only media member to have covered uh, Kareem passing Wilt Chamberlain back in mm-hmm. 1984 at the Thomas and Mack Center in UNLV, uh, and then also cover this historic event that's happening this year. But before I throw it to you, it, to yeah. give people another layer of you know the stories that you have witnessed and told through your lens, your sunset made me think of the fact that just last summer, you joined the legendary Lakers crew from the Magic Johnson Kareem days. Oh, you got the jacket on? Tell is that me what you're talking about? Yes, the Showtime yes. Reunion? Yeah. The Showtime <laughs> reunion in Hawaii that was just incredible. Pat Riley out yeah. there running practice. The old guys acting like it's the 80s again. You know, this is the degree to which you are connected to all things Lakers. Um, that was the yeah. longest intro of my career. But nonetheless, <laughs> you know, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, how course. are you? I'm great, man. I'm great. If you want to just talk for a second about the reunion, it was uh, it was beyond belief, man. It was like a once in a lifetime opportunity to see 42 or so of these guys back together again, reliving memories, 
Pat Riley with the blue paper, you know, running practice, <laughs> Gary Vitti stretching everybody out. And uh, I had James Worthy on my podcast the other day. And we were just laughing the whole time about it because, you know, they call it a walkthrough in the NBA. And this is more like a crawl through, as James would say. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but, but it any, was, any wheelchairs it was, out there? Yeah. No wheelchairs, no walkers. <laughs> uh, you know, to see Kareem at 75 years old with the health challenges he's had over the last few years, especially um, shooting skyhooks one after the other, you know, and uh, it, it just blew my mind, actually. So it was a blast. Magic and Pat Riley went first class all the way. Um, we were at the Four Seasons Hotel, which, you know, is the White Lotus Hotel that everybody's seen on TV. Right. right. And um, it was just a, it was just a fantastic week. You know, Magic made everybody stand up at one point, you know, at some dinner or lunch and and talk to the group. And, you know, the wives and girlfriends were there and we all had to say something. And, uh, you know, it was it was amazing. I mean, hearing Spencer Haywood, you know, talk about his story and and you know, AC Green and, and of course, you know, Pat Magic and all the wives talk too, which is amazing. It's just great. Andy, to that point, um, and this is going to intersect with the history that is going to be on display this week, but the relationships you have with the Lakers, the Kareem stuff that you mentioned, when you get that phone call to get the invitation to that trip, even as much as you've done and and you know the connections you have, I, I got to imagine that even with all that, it was it was fairly humbling. And I wonder who made that call, and and you know how pleasantly, it, it just thrilled were you to to be part of that group? Yeah, I, I got the call from Christina Francis, who uh, heads Magic's office, and she said that they had been planning this for about three years before the pandemic, and it just didn't come come to fruition before the pandemic. Of course, we couldn't do it during. And so finally, they decided, you know, this is the time in October 2022 to do it. And she said, you know, Irvin and, and Pat would like to invite you and your wife. And uh, if you don't mind bringing your camera, you know, and I'm used to that. You know, I would bring right. my camera anyway, but it would have killed me to not have a camera to record this. And uh, they just wanted like a smattering of photos. They really invited me as as a guest. And um, Jeffrey Osborne was a guest there. Um, I think we were the two like non-team members, so to speak, that were included. And, uh, anyway, I kind of took it seriously as a sort of an assignment, you know, because I, once I was there and we, I produced, um, 45 like customized photo books, not albums, the photo books, one for each person, which was sent out. And and, uh, I'm getting a lot of feedback on that. I was just with Pat and Chris Riley. The other night at a Springsteen concert in Florida, nice. they got their book and they were happy. So <laughs> a lot of those people are happy with it and have had the memory of, of that incredible week. Um, that just, you know, fills my heart up. I love it. I love it. All right. Let's pivot a bit here, Andy, to the, the you know, the incredible moment that's going to be on, on display this week. But before we talk about modern day and present tense, you know, can you please take us back a little bit to 1984? And if, if I have it correctly, you joined the Lakers as a team photographer in 1982. So you're, you know, somewhat fresh, you know, in that experience. And and next thing you know, you know, Kareem at that point, you know, one thing, Andy, I got to admit, I didn't really slow down to realize until today about Kareem passing Wilt for the scoring record is that, you know, he did it at age 36. Um, 
And well, maybe 37. I don't have the exact calendar in front of me, but he did it, you know, with quite a few seasons left in his career. Uh, and, and, you know, at that time, Wilt, of course, then and now is a titan of the game. And, and so, uh, you know, him passing Wilt was incredible. But just memories uh, that come to mind first for you about that day and, and the meaning that was attached to it. Sure. I, I was still a freelancer at that point. That was, it was sort of the beginning of my career. And okay. um, I hadn't like fully sort of entrenched myself with the team in the NBA okay. yet. Um, and I was hired actually by Newsweek magazine to go out to Vegas to shoot this game. And as you know, I think uh, Utah played 10 or 11 games or something that season in Vegas. And uh, I was a nervous wreck. I mean, I really was. We all knew it was going to happen. I think he needed 22 points or something going into that game. And um, I was assigned an outside spot at the end of the baseline, you know, where the baseline and the sideline meet. And it was on the side where, where, you know, God willing, he would break the record, um, which happened in the second half. And uh, anyway, long story short, he went deep on the baseline to take this uh, sky hook. If you've seen the video and the basket kind of blocked me. Like I was in a position where like I was blocked by the actual backboard. Uh, so I didn't get the greatest picture of the, of the shot, but the aftermath was fantastic. You know, the game stopped, all the guys swarmed him. His parents came out of the stands, David Stern, who was like a freshly minted commi- commissioner. I mean, he had just taken the job, you know, is on the court. They're doing live interview, and it was it was an amazing experience. And Kareem it was so joyous. He was so happy, and the love around him. And then the post game press conference was wonderful. Um, and then a couple of days later, when the Lakers came home to play at home, they had the actual ceremony where Wilt sort of begrudgingly, it seems, <laughs> kind of <laughs> passed the mantle, you know, to Kareem. Um, I don't think Wilt was too thrilled about giving it up, but, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, and they had had their history, those guys together, good and bad. So do you remember you know, that? I mean, that's very interesting. And so do you yeah. remember like leading up to it, you know, nowadays, of course, Kareem has done interviews talking about LeBron and been gracious sure. and, and that public vibe has been positive. But I wonder back then, you know, was Wilt granting interviews to talk about Kareem? What was kind of the tone that he was setting? You know, I, I'm not aware of that, Sam. I don't know, but I've heard and I've talked to a couple of, of your buddies, you know, on the trail. And and the rumor has it that Wilt, Wilt said, well, if that, if, if that record was going to get broken, I would have shot a few more, you know. Right. <laughs> he would have scored more points. I don't right. know if that's true or not. I mean, sure. the dude did average like 50 for how many seasons. But, right, right. Um, but, you know, Wilt was a very proud. I didn't know Wilt, but what I've, I've heard and, and actually was seemed like the vibe that night. He's a very proud guy. I mean, this was, I don't know if anybody asked Babe Ruth, you know, how he was going to feel when somebody, you know, hit 715, right. which of course didn't happen during his lifetime. But I would sense that it's, I would sense. It's not something some he wanted to let go of. Well, yeah. And I would sense Kareem's got some mixed feelings. I mean, you know, 39 years, is a long time to hold on to a record, of course. Sure. We all thought, who thought that record would be broken? You know, I, I didn't. So I'm just glad to be able to knock on wood, you know, God willing, I'll be there to to record it when LeBron breaks Kareem's record. How would you, how would you compare the 
build up to that one like you know i'm I'm talking maybe like the weeks leading up to it it does sound like it was a very big event and that Mm -hmm. you know the way you described it but just kind of the national interest in it compared to right now what you're in i mean obviously you're down in la for a reason and, and just what it is right now for what lebron's about to do yeah for sure well i mean obviously keep in mind there's no social media so there was nothing constantly being tweeted out and it was basically like, you know, sports talk radio and, and, uh, TV. I'm a little bit on TV and some, you know, newspaper columns. And, but there was a lot of anticipation. Um, the crowd was buzzing, um, in that arena. And there were a lot of Laker fans, as I remember, who had made the trek over to Vegas. Um, but nothing compared to today where it's literally minute by minute, you know, I mean, there are various organizations running LeBron trackers, you know, counting down how many points he's got. And, um, I'll add to that quick, the Warriors, some of the Warriors players after their game the other day, after they did their press conference, they're taking Draymond, they're taking, I think, Clay maybe in to do a little quick video that I'm sure will be played, you know, (laughs) out of their account or something once it happens to like congratulate him. I'm sure that's happening across the league. Yeah. And, and rightly so. I mean, look, LeBron is, is an unbelievable athlete. I mean, for him to have accomplished this and still playing at the high level that he is, which Kareem did as well, by the way, in his 20th season, you know, Kareem was still Kareem. Um, you know, it's, it's great for me to see. Um, I have to kind of pinch myself, you know, that 39 years has gone by sure. <laughs> like that. Um, and I've seen a lot, but you know, it, for me, it, it's going to be a great moment. I think when, uh, when it finally happens. Take us. So whenever you see an iconic moment in, in history, and you see mm-hmm. a photograph of it, or in sports history, I should say, you see an iconic moment of it, and, and you see the photo, the one that stands out. There's always that one lasting photo that stands out, right? Mm-hmm. And in the background mm-hmm. of that photo is always about 9 million flashbulbs going out of <laughs> other people taking pictures, right? Right, right? So when LeBron comes within three points of that record, every single person with a whether it's a professional photographer or a camera phone is going mm-hmm. to be having out their phones or their cameras and taking a picture every single time he rises to shoot, right? Because mm-hmm. it might be the one that ties or breaks it. Yeah. As a as a veteran photographer, when you know it's going to be an iconic moment and you know it's going to be the most photographed moment of the night or the week or the season or whatever, how do you go about trying to stand out in anticipation because there are going to be so many other photographs uh, of that exact same thing? Oh, that for sure. For? Well, it, it's all in the preparation. Um, you have to have a plan. Um, it's going to be all hands on deck for us tomorrow. And then if he doesn't do it tomorrow, it'll be Thursday, meaning we'll have NBA photos. We'll have five photographers there, a um, couple of assistants. Um, we're going to have a production meeting before to discuss coverage. Um, I just have to tune out the noise. You know, I, that's part of my job is, uh, it, well, I mean, not part of my job is watching it. <laughs> you know, So if I'm watching it happen, I'm not doing my job. And if I, if I take in all the peripheral noise, then, uh, that's just going to distract me. You know, that, I, I go back to Kobe's last game, Sam. I, I think you were there, right? Um, April 13th, 2016. Tough, uh, tough call there, Andy. Uh, one of my yeah. career regrets, I had oh. to choose between the Warriors winning their 73rd game mm. and Kobe. And yeah, I made the wrong yeah. call. Well, you and I are <laughs> in the same boat because I, I wasn't at Kobe's 81 point game. That's a whole other story. Yeah. But anyway, 
<laughs> that was a judgment call that day too. But anyway, I go back to that that game and and everything about that night was about for me was Kobe walking off the court for the last time. And I've covered they covered 20 years of his career from his first day as a Laker to his last day as a Laker, everything in between. So we were totally prepared and this was obviously much better to choreograph because he only had one way off the court. You know, as you know, you know, by the bench is, is the bomb that goes off to the locker room. So we had remote set up in different areas of the arena, just looking at that sort of, you know, exit. And I was just following him off the court and I knew there had to be a photo in there somewhere. And he, he was being blocked by this rather large security guy who was a friend of mine, a guy named Brian who is literally like, as I'm moving and he's moving and I, I can't get the shot, I just yell, Brian, get the, you know what, out of the way, man. And he just moved for a second as Kobe raised his hand to wave to the crowd and there's 24 uh, uh, projected on the wall behind him, confetti all over the place. I don't know if you guys have seen the picture. Oh, yeah. But that was the picture I had in my mind, something similar to that. If I didn't get that picture to this day, I'd be kicking myself because that was the moment. and. Literally, the next step he took was off the court, and he was done being a Laker at that point. So to you and to Fred's question, is is the moment that you will be more focused on him, you know, that, that final shot that gets him over the mark, or is it, you know, potentially the emotion that might come after? Yeah, it's everything. I mean, absolutely 100% have to get the shot of the shot. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he surpassed 38,000 points. He's only a second player next to Kareem to do that and luckily i mean he, he hit a jumper you know it was a clean shot for me and it was nice and it laid out well but you know i don't know where he's going to be he could be on the other side of the court when he does this um it could be a free throw it could be i could get blocked so that's why we have backups to the backup and it's not just me um that's going to be there although you know i'll be crushed if i don't get the picture but if it's <laughs> but if it's not my fault you know, then at least it's a little easier to take. Meaning at least I'm, if I'm locked in, I'm paying attention, I'm not distracted and something out of my control happens, you know, referee gets in the way, player gets in the way, blah, 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 blah. You know, Michael Jordan's, um, you know, 0.6 shot. I was blocked. You know, I didn't get the picture, but I was able to push the remote button so that my buddy Fernando Medina was able to get that iconic photo that you've all seen, right? From the other side of the court, Michael going up 0.6 on the clock, all the fans, you know? So that's why it's a team effort, quite honestly. And that it'll be that same way this week. Listen, good on you for, for having that kind of collaborative spirit. And, and, you know, uh, honestly, that, that kind of makes me think of, of LeBron's game. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, LeBron himself and, and the way mm -hmm. he has attacked this thing. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned Kareem playing at a very high level in year 20, which I 100% agree with. Uh, that being said, I, I feel like, I mean, you guys, we're talking about 30 points a game um, in year 20. We're talking about eight and a half assists. I'm sorry, rebounds, seven assists. Now, you know, we know the team is not performing like they would like, um, but this is, if the Lakers had won 10, 12 more games, which is a, a massive if, of course, he would be at somewhere in the MVP conversation. Wouldn't be a front runner, but he would be in the MVP conversation. You could argue it's MVP caliber play. Um, and, and he's not going to be done 
Tuesday night or Thursday night. This record and these points are going to continue to stack up. Uh, and it does feel for me like one of those, I know it's maybe a little cliche, but it, it feels like a record that might not be broken. Um, and mm. I, you know, now that being said, I'll counter it. Go back to the Kareem stuff in 84 when he passes Wilt, <clears throat> you kind of said, Andy, cause you were there that, you know, Wilt had that record for a while, didn't want to let it go. If, <laughs> if Kareem had not continued going from that point forward, uh, you know, you're talking, I mean, Dirk Nowitzki, Michael Jordan, Kobe, Carl Malone, all are currently above Wilt. Um, mm. And, you know, so just some incredible, incredible players within all of that. <laughs> and I think, pardon me, what boggles my mind a bit is is just that idea that, you know, LeBron I, presumably is going to hit 40,000 and, and mm. you know, and then who knows how far from there. This thing is not going to be touched for a very long time. Totally agree with that. I mean, as a dad, you know, would I want to play with my kid? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, you know, he's shooting for that. Right. Um, that's what, a couple of years away? Yeah. Um, I have never witnessed, and, and I, you know, I have to include Kobe on this because, you know, I thought Kobe was second to none in terms of how he took care of his body and his mental preparation, but I think LeBron's got him beat on the on the physical preparation. Um, never seen a guy take care of himself. Um, the amount of time and effort, and you know, he and his trainer Mike. I mean, you know, he's like Mike Mancius, yeah, yeah. He's in the lab all the time. You know, in <laughs> just making sure that that body is working, and uh, that's why it's so kind of I don't know unusual when he does get hurt. Like Kareem never had a major injury, by the way, as we all know. But he didn't play – well, I don't want to say that. I was going to say he didn't play as physical a game. He was pretty physical. He was going up against pretty tough dudes. But um, I don't know. The way LeBron plays like you know, like a freight train most of the time, um, it's amazing that the guy hasn't been injured more in his career. He's just he's a, a physical specimen, I think, second to none. Well, and just quickly to compare the two year number 20s, you know, I already mentioned LeBron stats. You know, Kareem's final season was 10 points – four boards and, um, mm. you know, and, and 23 minutes a game, essentially. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. So incredible stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, he's got, he's got more gas in the tank. Um, I know he wants to play with his boy. I know he wants to win cha- another championship at least. Um, who knows what the future is going to hold. Uh, it's a thrill for me to finally have him in front of my lens, you know, at home. Um, I had to chase him for years and years in right, Cleveland and right, Miami. Right. Um, so to, to not have to leave home and, and have him in front of me was great. Um, you know, the bubble was unbelievable, that, that championship. So, look, let's see what the future has to hold. Uh, but, you know, I'll be really happy for him because I know how much he's put into the game, into his game, um, what the game means to him. And, uh, you know, to be part of that, to record that is is – humbling actually you know that i'm in that position to do that andy we know you gotta run i'm gonna let you go on this i you and i had a conversation you know somewhat soon after lebron came to the lakers kind of analyzing you know lebron's place within the league's history but then now this forthcoming lakers chapter at that time and and you Mm -hmm. sharing your perspective in relation to kobe because you were very close with kobe If, if folks don't know you know your mama mentality how i play a book was just it's a fantastic you know, kind of, it just captures everything about you and Kobe and, and the work you did for his entire career 
all in one book. I would highly recommend people go pick that up. But as far as the, you know, from that point, the, you know, jumping into Kobe's space, feeling that LeBron was taking on to now, you know, winning the championship and then having a number of challenging years around that title. What would you say about, you know, the, the feeling you now have about LeBron's Lakers legacy? Well, first of all, I think it's incredible that the, you know, the last three guys to hold the scoring record will be Lakers. Sure. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of cool. Um, you know, of course, Kareem played for Milwaukee before that. And of course, Wilt was, uh, where was he in, in uh, Philly before that, right? Yeah. Um, and LeBron has his history. So I think for Laker legacy, it's, you know, it's, it's akin to the Yankees, you know, and how many, you know, championships, what are they, won 27 championships? Who knows? But, um, Look, Kobe played for the Lakers for 20 years, you know, came in as an 18 year old rookie and left 38 year old veteran, you know, five championships. Um, LeBron has been in other places. And, uh, you know, I think that, um, that the Lakers will be proud that it'll be him, uh, that he'll be wearing a Laker uniform when he breaks this record. Um, we don't know what the future holds for, you know, if he's going to stay a Laker or go somewhere else. Who knows? Um, but in the moment right now, I think it's pretty cool that he's a Laker and he's going to break this record as a Laker. Fantastic stuff. Andy, thank you so much. We know you're running around is a very, very busy week for you. Uh, thank you for the time. And, uh, you mentioned it earlier and I have listened and enjoy it greatly. Legends of sport podcast. Make sure you check that out. Andy's got a star studded lineup in terms of guests and, uh, man doing it at a very high level. Like you said, Andy, after 39 years is very impressive. So keep it up, brother. No, uh, appreciate it, Sam. Thanks to you and every, and all the guys. Appreciate the time, man. See you Thank soon. you, sir. Be good. Okay. Thank you. Cheers. All right, we will be right back on the other side, guys. Uh, let's wrap things up and 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 spin it forward in terms of trade deadline week. We'll be right back. Thank you. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10 minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60 minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. 
Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, we are back from the break, and I'm changing hats with host Sam Amick. The trade deadline is now, what, two days away? Well, like 50 hours, something like that. Um, Sam. Two days from, from the uh, airing of the pod. Three days from recording. Three days, yes. yeah. Depends on when you're listening. What's going on around the league? I mean, this is, you know, you do hear from execs, like, th- today is the day where, like, things get more realistic, right? I mean, where offers are like, all right, let's really talk about what's, what's realistic here. 100%. And the Kyrie move going down, you would imagine it just frees everything else up, right? So, yeah, the the phones are hot at the moment, um, you know, I would assume. And I think there's a lot. To, I don't know what direction you guys want to go as we wrap up here, but, you know, you know my focus this week um, you know, we have waited an incredibly long time for the market to heat up as it relates to buyers and sellers. And, you know, now is kind of the moment of truth where teams are going to decide that, you know, whether they're done with this season and they're selling, you know, or they're going to keep pushing forward. I think Toronto is incredibly interesting. I think Chicago is incredibly interesting, you know, as potential sellers. And I think, you know, Phoenix comes to mind as, you know, really the teams that lost out in the Kyrie sweepstakes revealed how thirsty they were and are for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, you know, the Suns. Uh, I'll go down that road real briefly. You know, you have a new owner coming in and Matt Ishbia, who is by all accounts going to be, you know, very aggressive, uh, like most new owners are. Um, he, his voice is already on that team and tricky dynamics. Cause it's like, all right, you got James Jones in the front office. What is his future in terms of what the owner thinks of him? But trade deadline doesn't, you know, care about any of the nuance. You got to decide now how are you going to salvage this Suns era that just a couple of years ago was a couple wins away from winning an NBA championship. So the idea that, you know, Chris Paul's future could be in play this week. You know, his contract is only half guaranteed for next season. And, you know, we've now seen their pursuit of Kyrie Irving. We are now aware that they are very interested in Fred Van Vliet in Toronto. Um you know, on the flip side of that, Chris and just focusing on him as a, as a big time star and a, and a you know all timer. You know, Chris was thrilled to get to Phoenix from Oklahoma City when he got traded there, partly for personal family reasons because it was closer to L.A. and and it just worked better for his situation. Safe to assume that if his future is going to be somewhere else, for him, all eyes are on L.A. So you you know, part of me wonders about a Clippers reunion. Is that possibly in the cards? Uh, because the Clippers still haven't fixed their point guard problem. So I suddenly do think um, that, you know, we could have, you know, a fairly, uh, even if deals don't get done, we, we could be talking about stars a decent amount this week. Yeah, I'm so curious yeah, I mean, to see what happens after. I mean, all of the stuff about the offers that didn't get done for Kyrie, the Phoenix deal getting out there, the Lakers deal getting out there. It's like, that's airing out all the dirty laundry, Hell right? Yeah. And I am... I am really curious to see how that affects Phoenix or if it affects Phoenix's maneuvering at all. Like you mentioned Phoenix, they're really interesting. Like you hear them connected to OG and Anobi. Yep. You hear them connected to Kyrie Irving before Irving got traded to to Dallas. Like that is an interesting team that's clearly trying, you know, they're like on the fence. They're 500. They could finish really in any spot from four to 12 in the Western conference, but it's very clear that they're trying to get better right now. And we talk about we've been talking about them in regards to like Jake Crowder for so long, but man, they are they are trying to add like it, it really feels like they're going to add something, right? 
Yes, I, I agree. And and Slater, maybe you can take this one. Uh, Memphis comes to mind too. You know, an, I was a younger that was version going to be the team I was going to mention. Yeah, particularly for Ananobi. But yeah, I just think it's be, you know what have they lost now? Like eight and I'm nine. Literally trying to pull like it up right now. Um, yeah, I mean they're yeah eight of so nine. It's always interesting where teams are like right at the deadline. A lot of times can affect mindset. Oh, big time. Big time. Yeah. And they're struggling. And to the, you know, I've talked with plenty of people around the league about this, but they're thinner this year than last year. Like they've lost Melton. They've lost Kyle Anderson. They have not replaced them with, I don't think, nearly as capable of rotation players. They're one more year ahead on this, you know, whatever timeline. I understand that they have a very patient approach. And Zach Kleiman is very much a, like, I want to win every deal type of guy. Like, don't overpay. Um, But I think they need something. If they actually realistically want to, you know, contend for a title this year, it doesn't have to be OG, but he would fit what they need. They've got all their picks, and then, and this is up your alley, Slater. They've got the Warriors pick next year from the Andre. That Iguodala is the trade. Andre Iguodala get off uh, Andre Iguodala move from yeah. uh, the D'Angelo Russell summer. And I mean, it's you know, with picks, of course, there's always this tricky moving target analysis of you know, a, a pick's value based on what's happening with that team. And, and it's, you know, that particular pick, I had somebody kind of put it to me this way, that that for the Grizzlies' purposes, they would love nothing more than the, you know, the Warriors have to have a last dance season this year, have everything fall apart. And who knows next year what it, things look like for the Warriors. And that pick could be decent based on... It is protected. I, I, I Let me look. I think it might be top 10 protected. It might be lottery. I could pull that up too. Yeah, so that at least, you know... <clears throat> But if it's a middle of the road pick, you know that's something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, other, the other thing solid. with the Grizzlies, I mean, it's definitely like usable <clears throat> in, in, on the market. And but my question is, like, is Memphis? I mean, maybe you have a pulse on this. Like, are they of the belief that now is the time to push some chips in because they've really kind of avoided that? I don't have total clarity, but I have some insight. I think it, it feels like the motivation level is 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 there, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if. You know, we hear more about them being aggressive because on the flip side, whether it's Memphis or, or other suitors who are looking at Toronto, um, you know, the sense I've got and listen, disclaimer, it is lying season. You know what I mean? In terms of like chatter that we hear. So that's where this job gets tricky because everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's trying to get a little slice of leverage. So that being said, you know, I've heard some chatter that up in Toronto, there's this vibe of like to the media folks, like, do you guys understand that? That like the the it the, that it's been underreported how many teams are, are have aggressively come the Raptors way. There was a report from Michael Grange, you know, Toronto legend, about how I think it was that the Raptors had been offered three first for OG. The the, the team name was not attached, uh, but the general idea being that they have no shortage of of really significant offers, and you know, and then I heard some of that chatter independent of that. So uh, if that's the case then things could get pretty interesting. I mean, Sam, look at the market right now, right? And we've discussed this a little bit on the podcast, and it doesn't seem like it's changing. There are a million teams in the hunt. And basically all of the teams in the bottom of the hunt for the play-in tournament kind of want to stay in the play-in tournament or at least stay in the hunt for the play-in tournament. And the teams that are well, well, well below it, some of them just have really high asking prices. Like the, the Rockets are just, they're an organization that just kind of historically says, nope, we want this for this guy, give it to us. And they're willing to not trade a guy, you know, like Eric Gordon, for example, they're, they've been insisting to other teams, they, they want a first for Eric Gordon. And 
We'll see if that happens. The The Pistons, we've talked about on this podcast, they won an unprotected first, as James Edwards reported, for ba- uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, and they have gone past trade deadlines with Jeremy Grant the in order to say that stuff, stay true to their word. And, the and so we look at it. Is funny. You, I don't know. It Sorry. is. But so you look at the standings, right? And the standings are saying, okay, there are way more buyers than there are sellers. Way more teams that want to get better than teams that are willing to get worse and, and punt for the long term. And then you factor in the fact that the ones who are slash should be sellers are setting high asking prices for their guys. And that's how you get a million teams calling up OG Ananobi and offering insane tros for OG Ananobi because it is a seller's market times 12 if you decide that you want to sell. Uh, I think if Toronto ends up trading OG Ananobi, it's going to be some sort of massive, massive haul. Uh, you look at what has happened to the market. We talk about how the market has progressed for for stars, obviously with the Gobert trade, with the DeJounte Murray trade, but the market has gone crazy for role players too. I mean, just last winter, we saw Derek White go for a first rounder and a swap, and role players never get swaps, right? That never happens. And I remember when that happened, people around the league were like, holy crap, how'd they get a swap for Derek Wright, for Derek White? And things have just progressed from there. And OG has an argument is the best role player in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I think you could really say that. And I, I think if they choose also to trade him now, like I think it's going to be high. Star. I mean, he profiles as a guy who could be on the rise. Yeah, I think it's going to take a lot, and and he fits in in a lot of places too. So like, you've got the Knicks going after him potentially. You've got Phoenix going after him potentially. You've got Memphis going after him potentially. You've got New Orleans going after him potentially, and and I'm sure there are other teams who are going to try their hand and go for it too. Like, why shouldn't the Lakers offer uh, the the two firsts right there? So if you want to beat the Lakers, then then you got to offer three unprotected firsts if the, if the Raptors are prioritizing draft picks. So it's just like it's it's a lot. There there are teams that that also have cornered the market on draft picks, right? And so those teams are just like if you're negotiating with the Knicks who have all of their own first round picks and four protected picks from other teams, which means they can trade eight up to eight first round picks. It's a lot easier for Toronto to say if the Knicks offer one or two firsts, it's a lot easier for Toronto to say, Hey, hold up. Like you have eight picks. We're going right. to need at least three of those. Then if a team only has three firsts and or two firsts to trade and they say, Hey, we're giving you everything we have. This is all we can. Uh, it's, it's just a lot easier for Toronto to counter in those sorts of situations. So it does feel like momentum is building to, to there are going to be some trades where a lot is given up whether it's for OG and OB or for somebody else. Guys, let's get out on this. We got to go. But to me, the undercurrent that you're hitting on, Fred, is the general idea that it is so wide open that nobody's giving up. You know, nobody's, there's not a fear factor. And Slater, I'm going to throw it to the team that you primarily cover, is that in the past, plenty of years during the Warriors dynasty, when the fear factor, uh, you know, neutralized the market uh, because of the fact that it was not wide open, there was no hope. And without hope, you don't make moves. You don't you don't sell. Uh, you don't buy. Rather, um, the Warriors are now going to be without Steph Curry for multiple weeks. Um, you know where does this leave them? But yet again, big time setback during a year that has already been incredibly challenging. Uh, give us a quick Warriors pulse. Yeah, I mean it. From my understanding, it's not changing their trade deadline approach, which wasn't going to be very aggressive anyways and i don't think amps up or really down much in aggression um 
as far as where it leaves them in the bigger picture when we start talking like playoffs, vulnerable would be the answer. I mean, you know, they're a three-game losing streak away from suddenly being in 12th, essentially. You know, they're they're facing the, the Thunder and Blazers this week, obviously without Steph Curry, and if they lost to both, I mean, they basically would dip under both, and you are talking about them being out of the playoff picture. Um, Steph's injury is very rare, and it's it's why it took them a, kind of a while to diagnose. They still don't really know the uh, exact timeline of it. Uh, I think we're probably going to not see him for at least a month would be my, you know, I guess, educated guess on it. I think the only comparable injury Jeff Stotts found was a 2016 Marcus Smart injury where Marcus Smart missed, I believe, 37 days, 18 games. Um, and to me, like what matters over the next month for the, for the Warriors is the two guys they gave big money extensions to this summer. Jordan Poole has not had as good a season. It's been kind of scattered, but you know, and I say historically, he's young in his career. He has been good when handed more of the keys. You know, he was really good when Steph went out last March, April. Um, so he needs to have a big month. And then Andrew Wiggins, who had a great start to the season and then kind of fell off a cliff after he got injured and got sick, he needs to kind of amp himself back up. If they do that, if they survive, Steph will be back at some point. Their whole approach right now from, you know, talking to them is like, just get in the playoffs. It's no longer like, got to get to this seed, got to get here. It's just like, just get a first-round series tipped up on April whatever, 17th, where everybody is there healthy, and then they just believe that they will be a threat. And, you know, I think that's realistic for them, um, but it's gonna it's, it's, it's a bumpy road to get there. Yeah, I mean, for me, final thought, it's, you know, Boston, Milwaukee, at this things always change. But as far as, like, believable teams that – that uh, that feel championship worthy, um, you know, Philly. Just no matter how well they play, I don't trust them. But we'll see, you know. But all, to me, it's Boston, Milwaukee, and the rest of the league, and Denver too. Uh, just Denver, it's just always got the stuff that we analyze about uh, why we're not sure we believe them as title contenders, and they got to prove it. So uh, from there, it's 100% wide open. But great stuff, guys. Between Mr. Cato coming on and the legendary Andy Bernstein and all things trade deadline. This week's going to be interesting. Appreciate you, and uh, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks.